Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Stato Jew podcast, hosted by me, Stato Jew, and my beautiful co-host, the Enigma, Luke Sherwin. Luke, how's it wow. going? Wow, how kind. Look at that. Thank you very much. It is more than a pleasure to be here this evening. <laughs> um, any big news with you in the last couple of days? Any, any like significant, like life-saving, you know, vaccines or anything? Well, so Joe, I got the vaccine on Monday morning. All things were fine until about eight o'clock on Monday evening, and I got absolutely wiped out by the vaccine. Like it mm-hmm. absolutely killed me. Except <laughs> not really. Um like oh so grim. I was like price cream. It was meant to be a joyous occasion and I just got really sore. Just got really sore and really tired and just very the whole things considered. Um, so that was a sad time for me. I felt like my ice cream eating experience was ruined by the, the pesky virus. Um so COVID has, has ruined yet another thing. Um but I was then done the whole next day. Like I slept so terribly, had a mad fever, had a bad time all around, couldn't sleep. It was roasting outside. So even though I opened the window like fully, it didn't make a difference because it was so toasty. It was just, yeah, sad time. So my last few days since, since we recorded the podcast on Saturday have been a bit rough, rough. Call me a dog. What about yourself, Joe? Look, I, I don't want to complain, but can somebody turn the heating off? It has been so <laughs> warm because I've been stuck in my room studying, right? And it's been a nightmare because, you know, usually you'd open the window, to, you know, to cool down your room. But unfortunately, it's almost warmer outside than it is inside. So it's yeah. too warm inside. But if you open the door, you're actually letting heat in because it's warmer outside. You're right. You know, just can we find a, a middle balance, you know, a nice, cool. You know, 16, 17 degrees, not a, not a 21, 22, not during exams, you know, not during exams. But it's um, trademark Northern Ireland, exam exactly. weather is real. Although exam weather this year has been significantly reduced compared to the last couple of years, because it's been very grey and rainy in May. Um, welcome to the, the BBC weather podcast. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but uh, apart from that, though, I've been... I haven't really been doing much, to be honest. I finished uni on. Countdown's on. I finished uni in two days. Get in the next podcast that will be coming to your ears. I'll be done. I'll be free. It'll be unbelievable. Unbelievable scenes. Um, This podcast, the main show of this podcast, guys, is all about our Premier League team this season. But to keep in line with that theme, and we're giving you the bonus content, as you know, that you very, very lovely audio listeners. We're going to talk about the goal of the season, our opinions on the goal of the season. We ex- we used we're going to use the 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 list that the the official Premier League list, um, and I'm pretty sure we agree. We we agree on our top three, right? I'm pretty sure we're yeah in agreement. I think so. I'm not going to lie, Joe. I'm kind of disappointed by the quality of goals this yeah. season. Per I I don't know if it's because of VAR. Or whatever it is, or just the sheer quantity of penalties this season, but the quality of goals have been slightly, slightly worse. I'm just thinking so about what they left out. Sorry, what about, what about Son's goal against Arsenal? Hmm, it was why a really was that good not, goal. Why was that on there? That was well, better that, than 
links us nicely to number three on our list, which was a Tottenham player against Arsenal. In Arsenal's 2-1 win against Tottenham, the player that then managed to get sent off after scoring this wonderful goal is Eric Lamella. Joe, what do you like about this goal? The technique's superb. Um, he's done it before. You know, the, he loves Rabona. Um, but I, I, it's hard to know if it was intentional where he placed it. Yeah. It's hard to know. It looks flashy. It looks excellent. Great finish. And yes, it's our third of the nine. I think it was nine that were nominated. It's our third third of nine. But for me, Sod's the goal. Do you know the goal I'm talking about? Yeah. For me, that's better than that. Well, I think Lamella's is given in this list because it is so unique. Mm. It's the type of goal that you don't see very often. I I like a Rabona. I've scored a few in my time on five side, you know. Um, oh. And and so it's it's impressive, but it's not it's not ridiculously impressive. I think it catches the keeper off guard because there's a few players in the way and it goes mm. through the legs of one of the players and things like that. So he's done well to make it happen, but ultimately. I always find that goals are tainted if they're in a pointless time. And not that this was pointless for Tottenham, but they lost the game. And so I'd rather take a win than a goal like this, you know, but that's mm. a whole other debate. We shouldn't take yep. it away from a, a superb goal. Um, second in our list was, it was a debate for me whether this would be number one or not. I yep. really enjoyed this. It happened yep. so late in the season. Um, Man United against Fulham. It finished one all in a game that didn't mean anything to either team because one was relegated and one was guaranteed second place. Edison Cavani with a phenomenal lob from 40 yards. It's like an annual tradition that someone in the Premier League scores a goal from in and around 40 to 50 yards now and we were looking like we weren't going to get one this season. And then Cavani was like, don't worry, guys. I've got you covered. Uh, well, technique. You see, the problem, exception. the problem for me is not that Arsenal try to walk the ball into the back of the net for once. The problem for me is that as a Stoke fan, for like three years, I saw Charlie Adam try this every game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he went for it every single game that we played, pretty mm. much. When he saw the keeper off his line, any time, He'd be like, right, here we go. Here's my chance. Here's my time to shine. He scored mm. one against Chelsea. That phenomenal goal he scored from our own half against Chelsea. And even the game, the one Stoke game I've been to in person against West Ham, he tried it from the halfway line <laughs> to the goal that I was sitting behind. He tried it and it hit the top of the net. Mm. He was so close to going in. Right, so, but, so I love this type of goal. But I also find it hard to appreciate them because Charlie Adam does it better. But Cavani just beautifully, I don't know how the ball got through to him. It was poor defending all around. But looks up, sees the keeper off his line and just dinks it over him. It, the technique is fantastic. The vision is very good. Edison Cavani, fair play. Fair play indeed. And our number one was Manuel Lanzini's goal against Spurs in October. I don't. Oh, it's just it's just a stunning, stunning goal. It's all those goals that makes you go, "Oh my days, what a goal!" Like you just like 
every time you watch it, you get you go be like, oh, like that. There's a bit of that, you know. Absolutely, so, and I think so, and one the of the things of the that game as well. Sorry, in the context of the game as well. Yeah, that's the thing. I think that's what makes it even better. Is that this was in the ninety fourth minute of the game, having yeah. been three nil down, to score three times in the last ten minutes, to which is topped off by this goal in the ninety fourth. Like, oof, that is wild. That is a wild time. Lanzini, the technique on show was superb. Kind of hits it outside of the boot. Kind of hits it with his laces through it. Just sails top bins. And it is a lovely way to cap off a comeback from 3-0 down. And I think if you're... Imagine being a West Ham fan and seeing that goal go in. Oh, shout out to you, Mikey. Shout out to you. Yeah, shout out to Mike. It would just be on... Oh, be so good. Um, but unfortunately... You know, we're we're going to give a, a wee spoiler here. None of those players who scored the goals made our team of the seasons. However, if you want to find out who really did, spoiler, do you don't think that's really a spoiler to say Eric Lamella, Edison Cavani, and Bamwell Lanzini did make It's a spoiler. <laughs> um, if you do want to find out who made our team of the seasons, keep listening because in this whole fifty-five minute main show, we talk about. Our respective team seasons. We do have a couple of differences, so it'll be interesting to hear the debate. And we will chat to you in the outro portion of the show. See you there. Bye. It's just it's it's a good time for us to kind of go through our team of the seasons. That's the plan for tonight. We've picked our Premier League team of the seasons. Now that the domestic and European campaigns have all finished, we're kind of in this two-week lull period. So we're going to go through our team of the seasons. And then at the end, once we've done that, we'll be comparing the team of the seasons that we choose to the team of the season according to the stats. So this is going to be an interesting one. I think there's a few surprises in there. Um, I know that just a caveat for the stats team of the season, you have to have played at least 19 games in, in the season. So you have to have played at least half the games in the season. Uh, Mikey, welcome in, sir. How's it going? Hope you're well. Um, you're going to be a big fan of Luke's tonight. I think there's a there's an individual in Luke's team of the season that's going to make you very, very happy, sir. Um, <laughs> we'll, no we'll, dive, we'll dive straight into it, I think. Um we're going to, I'm going to start by going through the players that we both agreed on, um, most of whom are not really big surprises, and then we'll, and then we'll do a more in-depth discussion into the places that we disagree on. So the first spot is the goalkeeper. You and I both choose Emmy Martinez. Round of applause. Well done, Emmy Martinez. He had a fantastic season for Aston Villa. He made a big signing over to... Um, over to West, not West Ham. He moved a, a big. He moved from Arsenal to Aston Villa, and a big signing, which ultimately maybe Arsenal will regret because he had a, he had a fantastic season. Um, he made fifteen clean sheets this season for Villa in the Premier League, and had an average rating of seven point one eight. Look, what are your overall thoughts on Martinez this season? Yeah, so I think <laughs> um, he's had a good season, all things considered. 
he has played really well, I think, is the big thing. You could look at certain goalkeepers and think that they've had a better season, maybe looking at clean sheets, things like that. But all things considered, when you look at how well he's played, you know, his his general performances, match-winning saves, oh. potentially in there as well, that have kept Villa in games. Um, Villa started the season really well, and everyone kind of credits Jack Grealish as, as being responsible for that. Mm-hmm. But I think Emmy Martinez is the reason that Villa didn't go any deeper in the Premier League table than they ended up finishing. What about you? Yeah, and I think I think the reason that I've put him in there and that we've put him in there as well is that contextually, uh, his performances were a lot bigger compared to uh, Ederson, for example. Who I mean, Ederson's world-class and probably statistically was maybe slightly better, but I think in terms of the context of the team that he was playing for, he was probably having to face more shots at goal and to achieve 15 clean sheets, which I'm pretty sure matched the record um, with, uh, with was it Brad Friedel? Did they both get 15 clean sheets in a season? I think it was something like that anyway. It was yeah. it was a big achievement for him. Um, Mark Shirt just randomly let us know that Ollie Watkins is overrated. I, I don't know about that, but sure. And... Alison got the golden bit for keepers, which, if that existed, would be true. Very Statistically true. and factually correct there from Matthew Rain. <laughs> we move on then from... Although, we should give Ederson credit. He did get 19 yes. clean sheets. He yep. got given golden glove. Ederson got it, but I think the reason that we picked Martinez is because Ederson had two really good centre-backs in front of him. Mings and Konsa aren't quite the same quality as Diaz and Stones. I think Emmy Martinez was slightly better, all things considered. But yes, next position. So the two centre-backs, we both agreed on as well. I don't think this is a surprise, although we will get into the second one. But the first one, really, was Ruben Diaz, who um, was actually a surprise entity. He came into Man City quite late on in the transfer window um, because they had signed Ake. Did he get injured, maybe, and had to sign in, had to bring in someone else? They brought in Ruben Diaz. And this season, he's been involved with 15 clean sheets. And he has an average rating this season of 7.16. This, this is all these, by the way, these figures are for the Premier League only. Um, Diaz is B-Tech Van Dyke. Um, <laughs> Josh says that Ederson could have read the newspaper with a digestive half the season, which actually is probably true because the centre-backs were so good. Diaz had a fantastic season. For all the talk of teams that come in and struggle with, or the players that come in from overseas and struggle with adapting to the Premier League and the style of football, Diaz came in and just dominated the centre-back position. Probably was, you know, Mad City's Van Dyke essentially, um, this year. Absolutely, and I think he adapted so well because of how Man City play. Um, not Philip Shirley, Josh Rain said, well, we haven't revealed our second choice yet, mm. so just you wait and see. Uh, but Ruben Diaz came in to a system that dominates possession, that has a lot of the ball, um, and is looking to be counter-attacked, but he knows he's not going to go that far forward, and he also has rapid wing-backs beside him, which are a big help, do you know? Um, so I think Ruben Diaz has done really well. You say relatively unknown, if you play football manager, 
you know exactly who this man is. This man has been like a wonder kid on Football Manager for quite a few seasons. And everybody that plays Football Manager in depth will know who Ruben Diaz was and knew when they signed him that he could be absolutely phenomenal. And thankfully, he's gone on to show that he is. It's a fantastic signing from Man City. And just a really nice player to watch. Um, I think he's done a really good job. Um, Nat Phillips basically shored up the, the back four, a big reason for top four. I think that's true to an extent, absolutely. Um, but we're not talking about Nat Phillips. So, Ruben Diaz, great. If it player. was, if it was team over the last two months, you'd maybe put Nat Phillips in. I would. But over the, over the course of the season, I, I think I maybe would. Um, but over the course of the season, the second centre back has to be his centre back partner, really, John Stones. Pretty yes. sure we both went for him. Um, John Stones. It was the it was the return. It was the return of the Jedi. Um, he 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 came back. Um, had had a pretty tough time at City to begin with. Um, and interestingly, now I thought I thought this was fascinating. So John Stones only played nineteen Premier League games this season. Right? That's crazy. In those nineteen Premier League games. City had 14 clean sheets. Sorry, yeah. 14 clean sheets. Sorry, not 19, 22. Apologies, 22. Yeah. 22 Premier League games and 14 clean sheets. Um, Josh again said Stones like Bambi on ice. I thought Stones was fantastic when it, this season. He scored a yeah. couple of goals. Um, defensively looked really solid. Pretty much, I think, has played his way into that England, England team for the Euros, potentially. Um, Absolutely. Really commanding and really solid. I think John Stones this season has he's been put beside a really good player in Ruben Diaz and that has helped a lot um, and it's really made a difference to how he plays because he looks way more confident when you play knowing that you're not the only one relied upon to do well it helps and he came in most people expected he's Eric Laporte to to be the partner beside Ruben Diaz. They expected Diaz and left-footed Laporte beside him to be a really good partnership. But John Stones played so well this season that he kicked world-class. I'm Eric Laporte. I, I would consider Laporte in the top 10 centre-backs in the world still. And John Stones has kicked him out. In fact, uh, I was reading an article just the other day and a certain website had ranked John Stones as the fourth best centre-back in the world right now, which is crazy, crazy talk that I would never have predicted this time last year. Yeah. I love the the start whenever uh, Ruben Diaz and John Stones have been playing. I think they had played 11 games together, and in those 11 games, they had scored more goals than they had conceded. Yeah, that's <laughs> which, right. It was, which was nuts. They had scored five and, and conceded four or something like that. Um, Josh, Josh, uh, Josh says John Stones is not top four in the world. Based on this season, I think you could make an argument that he is. And definitely within Europe as well. Um, Slabhead is better than Stones. I think Maguire, so Maguire, I think, deserves a special mention because I think this season Maguire has actually been really good it and has, been has really made, good. made Man United a much better team at the back. Mm-hmm. But I think that partnership, um, Stones and Diaz, if that plays for a few more seasons together, could be one that goes down in Premier League history alongside the likes of Vidic and a Ferdinand or that type of partnership, you know, a, a Terry Carvalho. 
the thing is with City, when they, whenever they brought John Stones in and they started that Diaz and John Stones partnership, that was the beginning of City's unbelievable unbeaten run, where they just went yeah. and won like 13 or 14 games in a row. Um, so I think that's not really a coincidence. They, no. Those two clicked really, really well and were fantastic. There was They mentioned earlier, Mark mentioned earlier about Havertz getting the best of Diaz. We've, we've talked about that on Saturday night. I felt that it was the tactics rather than the players that let them down there. Um, in terms of, I would have felt a CDM and there might have made a difference, but you can't really, that's speculation. You know, it could have just been a bad night, you yeah. know. Um, yeah, I would say Van, Van Dyke, Diaz, Ramos, Koulibaly, Eric Dyer. <laughs> Eric Dyer. <laughs> Easily, Eric easy Dyer. time to put my head. Fantastic choice. Koulibaly, I think, is a choice that's been put in there based on FIFA more than anything else. I don't think you've probably seen Koulibaly play more than five games ever. Um, but if you have, fair enough. Koulibaly's decent, but I don't know how well he would do in the Premier League, to be fair. Um, but yeah, I think John Stones and Diaz played really well all season together, and it would be it'd be strange for us to leave either of them out, I think. Um, and so that's why we've included both of them as our mm-hmm. two at the back in front of Emi Martinez. We also agreed on left-back then. Um, Absolutely. We, also, we agreed that Left back for us was Luke Shaw, who again had a breakout season, kind of a, a re- another return of the Jedi as such. Um, <laughs> he struggled since he broke his leg. Uh, he came back for for United, and United were a leggy defence. Let's not um, gloss over that. You know, when I, I was looking at the stats for the season, and um, you know. In the games, I think he played thirty-five games, something like that. He there was he, ten clean sheets in the Premier League, but he did he did make six goal contributions, um, five assists and a goal, and an average rating of seven point one two. Now United were leaky, but United also won games. Uh, they were undefeated away from home all season, which yeah. they're the only only the third club to ever do that. Um, and he was so. He, he was like a new man this season. He was so good. Everybody was raving about him. Uh, everybody that I saw anyway. Um, what he are your was, thoughts? I think starting 30 games this season has been one of the best things for him. It's the first time that we've seen a real consistency from him since he left Southampton. Injuries had kind of hit him all of the other seasons that he'd been at United. And so it's been really helpful for him to play that many games, averaging 83 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. You know, he's able to pick up that form, play a lot of minutes, um, and just get involved. He had a pretty good like passing accuracy all season with 85%. And from a left back, it's pretty decent. Um, he just he he was much better than he has been in in everything. His stats aren't ridiculously good. No. But I think his influence in the team and just how he went about himself this season put him above most other left backs. That we're in the Premier League. We lost Luke. <laughs> oh, um, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Hello. I, I think I think my Wi-Fi died there, but sure, I'm not keep, sure. Keep going. But yeah, Luke Shaw much better. But in saying that, I don't know if there's just a lack of left backs right now in the Premier League. Mm. Because Luke Shaw was decent. But Andy Robertson, had he played well this season, you know, is better than him. Yep. If Kieran Tierney wasn't in such an average Arsenal team, I would say is potentially better than him as well. 
But Luke Shaw deserves credit. Ten clean sheets, five assists, one goal. Yeah, pretty solid. It was decent. Um, we didn't agree on the right back. We will get back to that later on. We're going to continue with the ones that we did agree with. Um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure the first midfielder that we agreed on was this man here, Mason Mount. Absolutely it was. What a guy. Um, Mason Mount, yeah. Frank Lampard's favourite child, as he was dubbed by many last season. Most people thought he was the the only um, the only thing that Frank Lampard liked about Chelsea. He had a, a whole you know mass of riches at Chelsea, and yet he kept picking Mason Mount, and people slagged him off. They're like, "Oh, he's yeah. the PE teacher's favorite child," and blah blah blah, things like that. Um, but Mason Mount this season has showed a, a consistency and a maturity that I think has really taken his game to the next level this season. What do you think? I think. He's been exceptional. I think I was highlighted with the the pass that ultimately won the Champions League on Saturday. Uh, I know this is all about the Premier League, but I think as an all-round player, he's been superb. He's run that Chelsea midfield. Uh, he's been one of their key players. And as Lampard was going and he gave him the captain's armband, that was kind of a sign um, that you know this, this is the guy that I put my trust in. And then Tuchel kept with him. Let you know, gave him a chance and then stuck with him. And he's proven himself and he's grown as a player a lot this season. Statistically, it's not it's not like eye-catching numbers, but it's you know, it's in fact you might say they sound a bit poor. Six goals and five assists, but he does have an average rating of seven point two two, which is the highest so far. Um and I yeah. think that a lot of his Ability comes from his ability to create chances rather than actually directly setting up goals. Yeah, he's the type of player who'll have a lot of. If if this was hockey, he would have a lot of hockey assists, mm. which is the pass before the pass that yep. leads to the goal. I think Mason Mount would have quite a few of those in passing it to someone who then creates the goal. And um, he's also not going to score all the goals because obviously he's in a team who loves to score goals and as a striker like Timo Werner who loves to put the ball in the back of the net. So obviously he's not going to score. It, this kind of reminds me of like Ozil in his prime mm. with Giroud. Uh, do you remember the first half of the season? Ozil um, had like 13 assists and was on on way on track to beat the record for most assists in a season. And then it turned out that Olivier Giroud was the player in front of him. And Olivier Giroud went through a terrible five-month spell from January to May and single-handedly cost Ozil that award. And this almost, I think, is what's happened to Mason Mount this season. And Mason Mount has run games. He has, especially at the start of the season, when Kante wasn't really getting a shot by Lampard mm. for some reason. Yeah. The PE teacher's favourite child was still playing. And he was playing every game. He played 32, or he started 32 games, played 36 in total. You know, a lot of game time. And he just ran the show with a terrible striker in front of him. With an average defence behind him for the first half of the season, Mason Mount showed his class. I think a maturity that was unexpected. I think, and then when Lampard left, I think many expected him to drop out with the likes of yep. Ziyech to come in, with the likes of Pulisic to get more time, uh, Hudson Odoi even to get more time. But Mason Mount stepped up to the mark and said, "Nah, this is this is my Chelsea team," and I think he staked his claim as being a future Chelsea captain yep. um, for years to come. Agreed. Couldn't don't even need to say anything else because I totally agree with you. The next midfielder that we both agreed upon 
um, was this man, Ilkay Gundogan. Um, yes, might have dropped off slightly towards the end of the season. However, the numbers he produced this season at a time when City were really struggling, he kind of brought about a bit of resurgence up front. He was scoring goals that he really no one expected him to. And this season, um, he managed 13 goals and two assists yeah. uh, with an average rating of 7.27. Now, that's impressive yeah. by like for a midfielder of any standard, um, especially whenever a lot of his goals came from open play. You know, he wasn't... He wasn't scoring a lot of penalties. Yeah. Um, yes, absolutely. And one of the key things and the reason I included him is because most of his goals and his good performances came when they needed him. Yep. They came when De Bruyne was injured. They came in that spell. We highlighted earlier that mad run that City went on that Stones and Diaz played together in. Gundogan was almost the leading charge in that. Yeah. Jones and Diaz sat back and held everything firm, but Gundogan led them forward and scored ultimately, I think, 11 of his goals or something in like 10 games in that time period. He scored a lot of goals, 13 goals and two assists in 23 starts in the Premier League. That's a that's a crazy record from a player in midfield who wasn't really known as a goal-scoring midfielder. Again, we're talking about Premier League, but Gundogan started all 12 Prem- or Champions League games as well. Mm-hmm. Um, is there 12? Yeah, no, there is. No, uh, yeah, is there four? Yeah, there's, yeah, there's 12. Yeah, there's... No, there's... Sure, there's an odd number. Six. There's 14. There's 13. 13. 13. 13. Yeah. So he didn't play He didn't play one game out of the whole mm-hmm. Champions League round. The fact that Pep has such faith in him, I think, speaks volumes. He's a player who normally wouldn't get that much recognition, but this season has got more recognition because he's had to add goals to his game. When mm-hmm. asked to deliver, he delivered, and that's why he makes it into our team. When he started 23 Premier League games, played 28 in total, but five Team of the Weeks in that, you know, 13 goals, just a really good player all around that I didn't see coming. But as I mentioned last week, actually, in the intro to the podcast, Check out our podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify to hear the extra bonus intros and outros. But I named him as my only surprise of the season because yeah. nobody saw this coming. And he's just played really well and really consistently. What do you think? I remember he came in with uh, a decent level of hype about him, but then like didn't deliver to the levels that people were kind of expecting or maybe wasn't uh, obvious enough kind of the level that he was at. And then um, this season, he kind of dragged City through with a scruff of their neck and was scoring goals at, at a striker's rate, really. You know, he was he was scoring goals for fun um, over that Christmas period. Um, and I think ultimately was the catalyst to their unbeaten run. His goals kind of... Yeah, and, and the goal he had, he scored so many important goals that that kind of, he kind of brought about that that kind of good run on form. But for the midfield, that's all we agree on. So uh, well, we we'll only had three midfielders who agreed on two of them. That's not agreed on two. That's yeah, not that crazy. But while we're here, I guess we should give a shout out to Fabinho, and um, because he is a midfielder ultimately. And um, Josh says here Fabinho has to get a mention. Literally has go go gadget legs. He can just kind of play anywhere. Sort of vibe. I think Fabinho had a case of, you know, good at everything, excellent at nothing this season in mm. terms of I think he did what he had to do when he was asked to do it. But, like, when he played centre-back, he was he was good. He was good, but he wasn't the best centre-back in the league. 
and when he was playing in midfield, he couldn't stand out as much because the players yeah. around him, namely Thiago, weren't playing overly well at times. Towards the end of the season, absolutely, they started to click and they started to make things happen. And then the attackers weren't great. <laughs> and so I think Fabinho was kind of hurt a little by the players around him. Unlike Mason Mount, who we think played really well in spite of all of that. Yeah. Um, but that's just my I think thoughts anyway. Fabinho was also a victim to the system a bit because he was forced to play a position that isn't his first choice position for all of the season and didn't, you know, unfortunately was, was one of those players where Liverpool had that, like, at 300 million centre-backs injured, so we need to find someone else to come in and step in. So Fabinho had to do a job there. You know, he didn't have a bad season. It wasn't a standout season, but, uh, you know, again, we've got we've got another Matthew Raid with another deluded Liverpool comment saying, best centre-half and CDM. On his, day, on his day, he is in the season for best, for best CDM, 100%. Yeah. But this season didn't shoot that. This season yeah. didn't really get going because he didn't ever really got consistently playing at CDM this season. At centre centre back, he did well, but that was comparatively to to what they had. Like he's not Van Dyke, he's not Gomez. He did well to lead the line, but Liverpool went through a terrible run. Mm. And ultimately Fabinho was was part of that. Yeah. But we do agree entirely on the front three. Um, Is he angry on all three? All three. Look at that. Um, so we'll go the obvious one. Uh, well, there's two obvious ones, I think. And they are for, well, the first one for me is Harry Kane, obviously. Yes. Um, a one season wonder um, for the real six season in a row. One season wonder. Um, his, his stats this season were absolutely ridiculous. Ridic- his yeah. numbers are ridiculous. He had no right to be doing anything that he was doing. Like, he was in a very average Tottenham team this season. Yeah. A Tottenham team that will be playing in the Europa Conference League. And I'm not yeah. surprised that now he wants to be to be leaving and moving on. He's absolutely bum-licking Kevin De Bruyne because he wants to play and get the creativity there. Absolutely. Harry Kane started 35 games in the Premier League this season, got 23 goals and 14 assists. <laughs> yeah. 37 goal involvements in 35 games in a rubbish team. Yeah. Like that, those numbers are mad. Talk about carrying, like literally talk about carrying a team. Like his back must be aching. aching. I know. On, on the goals he was scoring as well, you know, some poachers' goals, some screamers. Is the, the thing that he added to his game, and I think he credits Mourinho for a lot of this, is his creativity and his. That's where the assists came in. I think he, yeah. I think he gave Jose a lot of credit for that. And another, like another excellent season. Like we shouldn't be surprised now. But Harry no. Kane is one of the best strikers in the world. You know, easily, easily. I think second only to Lewandowski. Yeah, I think so I too. Think right now in world football, but then Lewandowski, Lewandowski is so good. Yeah. It doesn't get anywhere near as many assists as Kane did. And so goal scoring wise, you might argue Lewandowski is better, but in general play, Harry Kane's really staking his claim here. I'm not saying necessarily he's better than Lewandowski, but the way he, he does everything has improved massively. Yeah. The way he drops deep has improved. 
And that's almost it's it's what kind of has happened to Messi over the last few years. It's because Messi doesn't really trust the players around him as much. Um <laughs> Matthew Rain coming in here saying nowhere close to that season with Suarez in it. That season Liverpool nearly won the league because Suarez carried us. Keane isn't good enough to do it and carry Spurs to the title. Suarez, the best striker in world football. He was the best striker in world football at the time. Suarez, yeah, absolutely. Kane consistently showed up and was let down consistently by the rest of his team. The rest of his team being bang average uh, has really, really cost him. Suarez, I I don't know if you, you watch a lot of Spanish football. Suarez has been a really good poacher this season and has scored goals when needed to. But in terms of all-round play, Kane is miles above Luis Suarez at this current stage. And that's just because Suarez is getting old and his legs are gone. And Suarez has scored the goals when needed to, but doesn't really do anything else for Atletico Madrid. The rest of the team deserve a lot of credit, not just Suarez. Suarez is getting a lot of praise. But anyway, that's beside the point. Harry Kane has been absolutely superb. Harry Kane has been so good. <laughs> Doesn't matter, Suarez wins. Apparently, that's fine. That's fair. Um, I think. I think it's. I think you can't even. I don't think you can compare Harry Kane with Luis Suarez because they're. I think they're on two completely different uh, levels. Um, Suarez is world class still, which is exceptional for the ages at, and he did score important goals for Atletico Madrid, and ultimately Atletico Madrid did win the title. But Harry Kane is playing, was playing in such an uninspiring squad and was creating chances from nothing and was scoring goals from nothing. And, you know, sure. But, uh, yeah, I think I think Kane is an obvious candidate for the Premier League striker. Like, there's just no question. The next one, which is, which is relatively obvious um, for both of us, was, of course, uh, Mo Salah. Again, he had a fantastic season. We can talk a wee bit about how inefficient Salah is. However, we can't take away from the fact that uh, Salah scores goals for fun. Uh, this he season he scored 22 goals and had five assists, uh, where he, he, he averaged 7.13. Um, so Salah is your goal scorer, but doesn't create the same way because very often, and I think people would agree with me on this, Salah can be quite greedy on the ball at times. Um, does, does pass from, I'm not saying he doesn't pass the ball. I'm saying that he's a lot more greedy than, than Harry Kane would be. Also, another thing to note with Salah is if Salah had been firing all cylinders this season, he probably would have scored a lot more. Like Salah missed a few massive chances this season um, and still managed to score 22 goals. For me... The people that aren't putting Salah in the question for Player of the Year this year, I think that's a bit absurd because I think he's had a really good season again. Um, and I think you need to also take into consideration that he's playing at, you know, he was matching the top strike. In fact, he was the second best goal scorer in the league at a team that were really struggling for, for a large period of the season. Um, yeah. And he was still missing a lot. So I think <laughs> for me, you know, you know, Salah did really, really well. Um, do you have any thoughts before we, we answer Matthew's question? Yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on there. 22 goals for a winger. Let's mm-hmm. not forget, he is a winger. Ultimately, inside forward, similar 
similar vibe. Hard to know what position Salah really plays and what to put him as. But he scores goals. He scored a lot of games. He averages roughly three and a half shots a game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to be able to score 22 goals is pretty good. He's not missing that many. Um, he did, however, miss. I, I say that and then I'm about to contradict myself. He missed 19 big chances, apparently. Yeah. Um, which I think is per. <laughs> it's almost like half the half them that he misses, big chances wise. But he is a phenomenal player and one that definitely is has played well enough to be in the team of the year and is in the debate for player of the year. I think he almost got to the stage this season where he lost a little bit of trust in Mane. Yep. Because Mane was playing so badly. I I would have felt exactly the same way if I was Salah. Obviously I'm not. But I would have been entirely frustrated with Mane because he kept missing simple chances, difficult chances. He missed every chance, Mane, really, that he he got. Mm. And Susala deserves a lot of credit for this season. Definitely. And before we move on to our last agreement, Matthew asks, is Mo Salah better than Ronaldo in the Prem at their primes? That was a bit of a tongue twister. Um <laughs> I personally would say yes. Yep. But I'm a well-known Ronaldo hater, but um, I I think in terms of goal scoring, he definitely, like, I mean, that's not a debate. Yep. In terms of uh, goals in your first 150 games or whatever, Salah is up there in terms of with the elite Premier League strikers of, of the world, you know, in history. He was above... Thierry Henry with goals after 150 games. Like, that is mad, considering as well some of those games were played for Chelsea, in which he never really played, and maybe yeah. got 10 minutes at the end. Um, his stats are are nuts, and he has a real benefit of playing in a really great Liverpool team most of the time. Um, shame he's a one-season wonder too. Ronaldo was great, but Ronaldo also was in a really great team, played mm-hmm. winger, and maybe that's one of the differences and why we say yes is because Ronaldo played alongside world-class strikers. Salah's never done that at Liverpool. He's played alongside Mane, who's world-class. He's played alongside Firmino, who's very good, but neither of them are strikers. Whereas yeah. Wayne Rooney, Carlos Tevez and Dimitar Berbatov were all goal scorers. And so maybe does that take away from his goal scoring Ronaldo's in the Premier League and make Salah look slightly better? potentially and maybe maybe the debate isn't as clear cut as I thought it was. There's probably you you'd probably you'd probably be you'd have a fair argument either way, I would say. I think there's fair argument for both sides. Um Matthew's away to bed, no problem. Uh thank you for stopping by. Um finally our last pick that we agree on before we move on to our disagreements is Riyad Mahrez, a player for me who constantly seems to surprise because like he was great at Leicester and then he went to City and then I was like oh I don't know if he'll do it at City and then even if he did well at City I'd be like oh I'm so not sure if he's good enough and then he'd keep <laughs> doing well and keep doing well and I'd still bother him but I did think this this season in particular for me stands out as a really fantastic season for Riyad Mahrez. Um, yeah, if we're talking just Premier League, it's it's harder. 
because he only played he only started 23 games but in those games you know he had nine goals and six assists yeah and um, which isn't unbelievable but still is very good um in a team that has plenty of people scoring goals as we mentioned Gundogan earlier scoring goals and things like that um but i just thought he he would always show up when when city needed him apart mm-hmm. from the champions league final but that is another another story because premier league wise just was very consistent um showing signs of that unbelievable season at leicester showing signs of the world-class player that he was and continues to be. Mm-hmm. Average rating this season of a 7.26. Anything above a 7 is good yep. for anyone, but a 7.26 is starting to show, you know, upper upper echelons of of the league. And so I think, yeah, Mares was my pick. I just think the issue was that there's not been that many great attackers this season, wing-wise. I don't think he had as much competition as potentially he could have done. Um, what are your thoughts? I just, I just thought he was. I think a lot of it is about being consistently good. Um, you know, I think yeah. he was one of those players that was just consistently good throughout the season. You do have players who go through peaks and troughs, yeah. um, but I think Mares always kind of held at that consistent level. Yeah, and I think a prime example. People will say, "Why is Son not in either of your teams?" Yeah. And that is a valid point because he played 36 games, started 36 games, had 17 goals and 10 assists. Like those numbers are nuts, but I think he peaked massively at the start of the season. Yeah. And then towards the end of the season, really dropped off. Like Mares never really had any games where he was bad, whereas Son did this season. Son had games where he actively was not playing well. I think that's the thing. Like Son in the second half of the season didn't play well, let his performances drop while Kane, you know, kept his high. Mm. I had a massive debate between Son and Mares. I really did. I wasn't was really rethinking really about it, unsure what to do. Um ultimately picked Mares just because of the consistency. But I think there's a recency bias as well. I think if you if you think recently I think Son has kind of been non-existent in the last while, whereas Maris has played well, and I think that that's always going to kind of be in your mind whenever you're picking these teams. But now that we've picked the players that we agree on, which I think we agreed on, let me double check here, one, two, three, nine four, nine of 11. So there's only two positions we don't agree on. Yeah. So we both picked the same formations. Yeah. Um, we both picked four, three, threes. The first position we disagreed on was right back. Look, we'll start with your pick. Um, you went for Vladimir Kufal. I did I think Vladimir Kufal has had a really good season, especially because it's his first season, isn't it, in the Premier League? Um, I think it is, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, he joined um, in the latter end of 2020. Um he played in a West Ham team that had no right to finish where they did in the league. And one of the reasons he did so was, or they did so was because Kufal played so well and uh, Suchek was also a debate I had. I nearly included him in my team, but I couldn't justify it enough um, to put him in. But performances by them and then ultimately Jesse Lingard as well when he came in, pushed West Ham up the table and Kufal mm-hmm. played well. He had seven assists all season, which is yep. good. And I weighed good. that against some other people. 
at right back, which was so he was slightly better than than my other potential choice. Nine clean sheets for West Ham is very impressive. Yep, like that's very good. My, I guess the other player I'm weighing him up against, I can't even remember who you picked at right back. Um, but if it was a certain Man City player that I weighed Kufal up against, then I just felt like Cancelo could rely on his centre-backs more, whereas Kufal couldn't. And mm. that almost made his performances even better because he was doing it all on his own. I actually didn't go for the Man City right back. No, you didn't? Nice. Well, no. yeah, that was my debate, was Cancelo. Cancelo had less assists, but generally played very well. Yep. Um, but I think, yeah, had more freedom to do everything else and score goals and make chances because his centre-backs were so good. Um, whereas Kuval, in an average enough West Ham team that played very well together as a unit, mm-hmm. did a really good job. And I think Kufal deserves it. Fair play to the lad. I I went for uh, I went for Reese James. Oh, interesting. Um, I think this was a massive breakout season for him, um, and that's yeah. kind of why I picked him. I think he. So for me, he should be. Oh, I don't know. I don't know now. I'm, I've already had another debate. I was going to say he should be England's number one right back. Um, but I, I think he's I think he's superb. I think Rhys James was fantastic yeah. this season. Um I think he was helped massively with the experience in the Chelsea training squad with Thiago Silva being there, Rudiger being there. You know, there's good experienced centre backs that'll help him out. Um but I just thought that he was next level this season. Um and, and brought in great performances. If I just look quickly. Um statistically nine, wise. Nowhere near as good as Kufal, arguably. Arguably, yes, but it depends. Like I, I see. Obviously, it depends what type of player you're looking for. Uh, I quite liked the package that Reese James brings um, as yeah, as a player. No, I um, I do think he had a really good season. I do think Reese James had a it, good season. It was between Cancelo and Reese James for me, to be honest. I also think you can't. I, I actually don't think you can discount Trent at all. Trent's numbers this season are actually very good. Um, and I think what lets him down the most was the number of times that he gave the ball away. Um, yeah. And I think that that's what made him, was what took him out of the equation for me. But his numbers were still great this season. He was one of the highest average ratings in the league this season. Yeah. Um, but I think he, just- time, he was an agent of his own demise, an agent of Liverpool's own demise, in that he almost made the Liverpool defensive situation worse at times by giving the ball away at the worst yep. possible times so that the centre-backs came under more pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think Trent also is a, a, in a case of the Messi situation of we just expect so much from him that when he dips below that, it's hard to justify how good he's actually been despite the fact he might have still been one of the best um, in the league. Mm-hmm. And then the midfielder. I'll go first, and okay, I pick this. I pick this player, um, and I, I think it's, I think it'll maybe be a, not a shock, but a wee bit of a shock. I went for uh, Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah. Um, 
didn't have his best. I'm not. Uh, he didn't have an, like, his, his best season by any means. And not ever like don't. I don't think he was the best player in in that eleven that I have. But he did. A, he still had a great. He still had a good season. Is his average rating this season was seven point eight, which is the highest in the league. He played less yeah. games. His numbers aren't as good um, as even Gundogan. So he's got six goals and twelve assists. So he does have more goal contributions. A lot of that are assists. But I think for me, Kevin De Bruyne was still, you know, still great this season when he played. He does bring a difference to that City team. We saw the difference whenever he came off in the Champions League final, um, kind of firsthand. But for me, I think he's influential in, in teams. And I think that for me, he had to stay in. Um, yeah. that, that's well, really all I Fair enough. Say. 12 assists for a player who's only like, started 23 games. Is very good, a very mm-hmm. good turnaround, especially in a Man City team that didn't have a, an out-and-out striker. Um, as we were talking about Mason Mount earlier and being let down by other players, you know you can make the same argument for Kevin De Bruyne, and yet he still got twelve assists, six goals is very solid as well. A really good season, um, per kind of in terms of his standards, um, which is a testament to his quality again. And as Harry Kane has said. <laughs> It would be an absolute delight to play in front of. Um, but you yeah. went for you went for the younger. I went um, for the younger, better looking Kevin De Bruyne, younger, right? Exactly. With the ball cut, Phil Foden. Yeah. Um, I think Phil Foden has been unbelievable this season, uh, and I think he's just he's he's done it on all bases. You know, he's done it in all competitions. Hmm. He showed a real maturity this season. I think as well that is my reason for including him you talk about future leaders i i will be surprised if Foden isn't the man city captain within the next five years mm-hmm. and it isn't the man city captain for at least another five years after that <laughs> i think he is just you know man city's pride and joy at the moment coming yep. through the academy finally somebody decent um Nine goals, five assists, doesn't sound unbelievable. But considering he only started 17 games in the Premier League, yeah, like those are 14 in 17 starts. Goal contributions is a really good turnaround. He played 28, so he came off the bench 11 times. And even to have that sort of influence in a short amount of time on the pitch it speaks wonders of his quality. His influence, I think, when he came off the bench was always noticed. You know, mm-hmm. even in the FA Cup, there was a few games where he came on late in the game and changed the game because he just takes it by the scruff of its neck and says, let's get stuck in here, boys. Um, I saw an interview with Pep just recently, and he was saying, now Phil Foden expects more. He's like, he said, back in the day, I would have given Foden five minutes at the end, 20 minutes at the end, brought him at half time, and he would have been fine. But mm-hmm. now he showed that he can do it, and he's coming to me saying, "Why am I not playing today?" Instead, I, think I saw that. I, yeah, I love that from him. I think that shows a real change in mindset and a real confidence that's growing in Phil Foden. And I expect him to do mad things in the Euros for England. I think he should be starting alongside Kane, and will mm-hmm. really help Kane get the best out of his game. And Kane will also help Foden get the best out of his game. Um, so it's a real win-win in that sort of. Um, situation but yeah Phil Foden was part of my team so there are two complete teams Joe 
it might pop them up on the screen now for anybody watching there is my team of the year one last time we agreed on nine positions the only difference is we're vladimir kufal on the wrong side there we go vladimir kufal right back and phil foden in midfield hopefully you don't hate me for that if you have any thoughts drop them in the comments or message us on the page and let us know uh, here's Joe's. He had brought in Reese James and Kevin De Bruyne. Hard to argue with any of them. And that's the joy about football: is there's so much subjectivity that it's up for debate. But Joe, that's not the end. No, it's not. We are the Stat of Joe podcast. We're all about the stats. So I had a look on SofaScore. Is it me? Their team of the season. No, unfortunately. Pardon? Am I the look that you have? Yeah, yes, yes, yeah, exactly. Um, so basically, the super score one was a three four three formation. Okay. Um, and their team was as follows. They agreed with us on a lot of things, but there's a couple of really strange differences. Okay. Martinez and Nets. Great. Back three. John Stones, Ruben Diaz, and Luke Shaw. Great. The four midfield, Ilkay Gundogan, Kevin De Bruyne, Bruno Fernandes, and oh. Mason Mount. And the front three of Harry Kane, Riyad Mahrez, and Jack Grealish. Now, what are yeah. your thoughts on that? They're based on the stats, and they're based on the scores they've given the players who's on average ratings this season. So I... <sighs> I, I, I've seen certain people include both of those players that we haven't. So the only two players really that we haven't included from that are Bruno Fernandes and Jack yep. Grealish. Bruno Fernandes, statistically, you look, he started 35 games, scored 18 goals and got 12 mm. assists. Those numbers are really, really great. Yeah. But I just, I just don't like the way he plays. I just don't think he plays overly well. He's been really helped by penalties, obviously. That's what um, I was going to say. I don't know how many penalties he's actually scored. Do you have that stat? Uh, I'll look it up now. You keep going. I'll look it up now. Yeah, so he scored a lot of penalties, which I think has helped. He only like he he has a decent number of shots per game, but doesn't seem to score them. He makes a decent number of key passes. He makes big chances, twenty all season. Like that's very good from him. Um, but I just think he's he goes missing at key times for United and in big enough games this season. The Europa League final is a, a great example of that. He just disappears and he mm. focuses too much on trying to win penalties. He focuses too, too much on trying to get free kicks. He doesn't focus on just getting his head down and getting stuck in like Phil Foden does. And so ultimately, that's why I picked Foden over him. I just like the mentality of Foden better and I think it, it shows a better player. Bruno Fernandes almost looks like a player... Um, as I said on the Europa League final live stream, he looks like a player who's taken all of the worst bits of Cristiano Ronaldo and put them on himself. Like he takes the arrogance, the cockiness and the penalty taking of Ronaldo and says, those are great, I'll keep those and I'll just be a scumbag as well. Mm. Well, to answer your question, of the 18 goals that he scored, nine of them were penalties. Nine, so half the yeah. goals he scored were penalties. The season were penalties, yeah. That just is... shows you quite high yep that's ridiculously high i think it's the highest rate by a mile and um, so if you take those out because foden doesn't take penalties 
Yeah. Foden would have the same number of goals and seven less assists, but in in eighteen less starts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so you would back Foden to get five assist or seven assists in eighteen or yeah, in eighteen games. Yeah. Um, I just I couldn't include him because I just really don't like the way he plays. But I, I think he has been great at United and he, he has changed the mentality almost of the whole United yeah. team, which is great, but no, not for me personally. And then the other player was Jack Grealish, who the difference that when he played for Villa compared to when he didn't was massive. Um, when he did play, he had six goals, 10 assists, averaged 7.49, which is massive. But I, yeah. there was a start somewhere where it was like Villa's win rate when he played was like double when he didn't play. It was like 50% to 25% yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Um, so the influence he has on that team and their attacking is just crazy. Um, I can see why he's in the question for team season. For me, he didn't play enough games for me that I considered him because I felt that he hadn't made... You know, I always feel like if you want to get really... Unless you're exceptional... You need to be you need to be good for about twenty five plus games. John Stone's an exception for me because he was next level for those 22, 22 starts that he had. Um, yeah. But I do get Grealish being in the conversation. Um, he's going to be in the conversation for England starting eleven um, as well. I don't know if he will because he they played tonight England and he had started and Ollie Watkins was playing and a few of the players who weren't in the squad play tonight in the, the friendly just to well, give them that a game was purely because they didn't have that many players about because mm. all the players who played in the Champions League final weren't there um, mm. and there were so they were all gone that's why like Jesse Lingard played because he kind of had mm. to play because Nathan Mount wasn't about and Phil Foden wasn't about um, so I get why he played I just he is an interesting one for England because I've heard rumours that he suffers from like shin splints quite often and that's one of the reasons why that's kind of kept him back at times from playing a lot is because he has that consistent injury and that is an issue in tournament football like the Euros and is why almost I think Gareth Southgate potentially might not trust him to play every game because he just doesn't have the fitness for it so that's why they've got so many good options up front. Uh, Premier League wise I can't make that argument about not playing enough because I picked Phil Foden who played less um, mm. <laughs> well less starts um, fewer starts sorry but uh, more total games played 6 goals and 10 assists is very good in an average Aston Villa team um, and if he had have kept playing they probably would have been higher up in the table um, I, I like the way he plays very direct he gets at it but I couldn't personally pick Grealish above Salah. Definitely not. Probably could have argued that he'd be above Mares, but they had largely similar stats, all things considered. Um, and I just like the way Mares played this season. And I think that's it. I think the only the only thing I would want to question is that the stats don't have Salah in their front three, which I think is crazy. But I think that is down to. What we were talking about in terms of the number of chances that Salah's missed this yeah. season, I think that affects his score overall. But I would never, I would, I would have Salah as one of the first names down on my team. For yeah. me, the front three were the easiest to pick, um, and then after after that, it was a bit more difficult. 
that'll do us tonight, I think. Well, um, Joe, before, before we wrap up, who do you think would manage the team of the season? Who do you think has oh. been manager of the season to go alongside the team? Mm, the managers, I, I think personally, the managers in question have to be Pep won because they won the league so convincingly, yep. but I don't think he's going to win it or I don't think he deserves to win it. I think David Moyes deserves a shout. Yep. Absolutely. And Brendan Rodgers. Yep. Thomas Tuchel's an interesting one. You could argue he he could, but I also don't think he should be in. No. He's done an incredible job at getting him to win the Champions League, but in terms of Premier League, I think he's probably not up for the debate. So Pep, Moyes... And and Brendan Rogers, and then another shout would probably be Marco Bielsa. Um, Leeds, I think, has done a really good job with Leeds, as much as it pains me to say that. Um, but I think for me, it probably has to be David Moyes. I was going to say David Moyes too. I think it's harsh that you left out Oli Gunnar Solskjaer there, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but I think I think I would have picked David Moyes because I think the job he did at West Ham was outstanding. Um, the results that they were able to get were just class. Um, and overall, I think he has performed the best. Um, so, yeah, I think if we're going to put a manager in, I pick my Luke Sherwin manager of the year goes to uh, David Moyes. Great. And my Luke Sherwin manager of the year also goes to David Moyes. <laughs> well, that'll do us for tonight. We're back on Sunday at 8 o'clock. We need to discuss what we're going to talk about, um, but we'll see what that will be. Because obviously this is a bit of a, a filler um, period. There's Mikey says, internet's <laughs> been playing. Nightmare, going to have to watch it back. But I've seen Joe and Reese James over Kufal. <laughs> Joe, are you mad? <laughs> I might be. I might be. And that's fair. And that's what the beauty of football is. We can have this debate, Mikey. Mikey, I'm um, here for you. I'm here for you. Yeah. Joe always says in the podcast that he loves podcast listeners more. Yeah. But I'm clearly here, a man of the people, picking yeah. Vladimir Kufal in my team of the season. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But uh, we'll be back on Sunday. Um, probably do a Euros preview. We'll have two shows to do. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, that'll do us. Check us out on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts to listen back. Or if you want to watch us back on YouTube, watch it back on YouTube. Make sure to subscribe and like all that good stuff. And yeah, we will be back Sunday night, 8 p.m. So we'll see you then. Goodbye. Goodbye. And that was our show. Do you guys agree with any of our picks? Let me know on Twitter, on Instagram, you know, at me, say, who were we wrong? Do you have your opinions? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you want to get your opinions in, send it into the mailbag, stanojoe0 at gmail.com. Get involved. I've said it before, Joe. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Slide into my DMs, guys. Let me know your thoughts. I'd love to hear if you think we're on to anything at all. But I think we should briefly mentioned before we head off. Obviously, we're both Northern Irish um, and massive, massive, <laughs> massive victory for us on Sunday. A big 3-0 win against Malta. Huge um, win. Huge win. It's our first win in 90 minutes under Ian Barraclough. It's wow. the first 
game we've scored more than one goal under Ian Barraclough. It's just unbelievable scenes. Malta are a powerhouse of European football. So what a what a result. <laughs> what a result. Ian Barraclough? More like Ian can't score enough goals. <laughs> uh, Ian Barraclough is an interesting man. I don't think he's the right choice for another Ireland manager. But I don't know who he is. And that's the issue. Yep. We're not a desirable nation to manage. Nope. Michael O'Neill was the man for it and I stole him selfishly at Stoke City and I love that and I'm pleased that I have but yeah Northern Ireland they looked slightly better than they have done I think I really enjoyed Jordan Jones being back I think he's a really decent player and it's nice that he's actually playing regularly or did play regularly for Sunderland it made a big difference and you could see he has been playing Ali McCann scored I think he's a real good player for the future I think he could easily usurp George Savile, but also yep. a donkey could usurp George Savile, so that's not that difficult. Um, but I do like the prospect there. Dion Charles, as you said the other night, looks like Northern Ireland's answer to Timo Werner and how many yep. times he just stands off yeah. Um But yeah, we won. Happy days. I'm not, not celebrating too much, but at least it wasn't a loss. It's hard to celebrate after some of the painful results recently. And also yep. it's hard to celebrate whenever it's a meaningless friendly against poor opposition. You know, yes, fair play. It was a three 0 win with not our full strength team. Yeah. So like you know, at least they got the job done. I think the game with Ukraine will be more interesting. That's Thursday night. So that'll be tonight for you podcast listeners. If you're listening to it the day this podcast comes out, um, that'll be more interesting to see because obviously we beat Ukraine at the last Euros. Ukraine are in this year's Euros, so it'll be interesting to see if we can get some sort of upset. I know Dan Ballard's in the squad for this game because he's made available after the after successful uh, playoff final with Blackpool. Yeah, um, but it's it's hard to be enthusiastic about Northern Ireland at the minute because. The Euros are coming up, and we really should have been there. You know, we shouldn't have we shouldn't have lost that game to Slovakia. So it's, it's difficult. Um, we're going to have plenty of podcasts over June, July, all about like all of our podcasts for a four week period will be about the Euros, and I cannot wait to talk about that. I love these competitions. Like they're they're so good, they're so so good. Um, but I'll do this for tonight. Um, we will be back. For you podcast guys, it'll be Monday before the podcast comes out. We'll be live on Facebook and YouTube at the usual time of 8 o'clock. Discussion topic yet to be decided. We will come up with it ourselves, I am sure. Um, But all that's left for me to say is take care, guys. Have a lovely rest of your week. Have a good weekend. Um, Don't get too... Hopefully the heat will die down and we can can actually start to feel a bit more comfortable in our lives. Um, Are you going to stay there? Don't get too sweaty or what? Don't get too boiling, I was going to say. But, okay. uh, but then I thought, actually, it's supposed to rain, isn't it? So, um, But yeah, anyway, <laughs> we'll see you guys in the next one. Take care. I love you. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>